Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey gang, James Azar here with the Sissel Talk Podcast. I hope you're ready for an awesome show. Before we get started today, though, go to cyberhubpodcast.com, see our series of podcasts, including our Cyberhub Podcast Practitioner Brief for those practitioners that are just yearning for non-clickbait stuff, just the stuff that we need to know about vulnerability management, patch management, and stuff that really enlightens us in terms of being a more secure organization. You can get that at cyberhubpodcast.com or on your favorite podcast listening platform by looking up for the Cyberhub podcast i've got a very very special episode today extremely special because i've been planning this episode for like i don't know pre-covid this was supposed to be an in-person pre-covid episode at rsa my good friend mark willis is joining us on the show he is the chief information security officer for bluescape mark welcome to sissa talk thank you thank you james glad to be here finally i know i'm so excited for this like i i, I you know, when we were supposed to initially do this, so for full disclosure, Mark is celebrating his one-year anniversary as a CISO, correct? With correct. Yeah, 14 months now. 14 months. So congratulations. Thank you. You've got four months left based on the lifetime of a CISO. I understand that, right? <laughs> and and uh, I think we do, we do things a little differently there where, you know, people have kind of said, hey, you're going to stick around past the 18 months, right? I'm like, yes, yes, absolutely, so. If you so, can tolerate me, if you can handle me for four more months, yeah, we'll, we'll keep going. So, so far, so good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've changed my title on my signature from CISO to Chief Coffee Maker. Ah. As a barista, a barista has a longer um, job title, like a job length than a CISO. Yeah. Well, I guess, it, you know, it depends on uh, where you go, right? What what organization you go into, go into as, a, as a CISO, right? As you go in, if you... Um, go into an organization that's had a lot of problems. I would think that there's a lot of turmoil and things are kind of up in the air, perhaps. Um, if you come into an organization where, like like Bluescape, where I came into, where the organization had matured to the point where they were ready for someone to come in 
and take over that role to be the first CISO there, uh, to be the one to come in and really help them pull things together and then launch us to the next level that we're seeing all of that come together in uh, in 2020, uh, COVID and, and otherwise. There were things that we were doing even before COVID that were kicking in the gear and then COVID really put us on the map um, with this whole idea of, hey, this company, this company, this company, you know, everybody's going to be working from home uh, through 2020. Okay, 2021. What kind of solution is out there that can get people to stay at home, work at home, be productive, and not have something that's boring, insecure, and that will keep their attention and get you know, productivity higher? We just happen to be discovered as that solution to, to do that. Um, it's been said that Zoom and WebEx are radio and uh, Bluescape is TV. So that's been, we've been kind of, you know, good for good, for good or bad, we've been stuck with that label. And so we have been able to accomplish more more clients, more revenue in, in Q1 2020 than all of 2019. That's how things have taken off. Well, I think it's, it's, it's a tell of our time, right? I can tell you yeah. that, um, that that's... I think that's true across the board for a lot of companies simply because of the work at home revolution that's that's happening is monumental but before we get into that discussion before sure. before before we do sure. all that fun stuff and we, we've got a great podcast for y'all today i mean i'm serious um guys this has been like eight months in the planning so you know like we've measured 10 times we're cutting once um you see the background uh, for those that are uh watching you see the very very cool background that mark has um if you're not watching and you're listening if i can describe it it looks like he's sitting in in in, in um would you say a tent almost yeah i get asked that a lot i get asked a lot hey mark are you in a tent or some kind of yurt or some kind of strange uh building and the, the answer is that the frame itself is from 1767 so for those of you who don't know, I live in Maine. I live in a house that, that was built in 1820. But as the uh, ships would go back and forth, the, the river I live on is tidal. So the ships would go back and forth between Massachusetts and, and what is now Maine. And they would bring things back and forth. They traded. And what they did is they brought up this, what they call the L, E-L-L. They attached it to the house. And the L was, a, was framed. It's, it's a 1767 frame. So we found the date on it. So I call it my 1767 man loft. Because uh, when, we, when we bought the house, it was all open, right? It was just a frame. And uh, my friend Colin and I, over time, got together, laid the boards down. I can kind of show you here, you know, on the side. You know, there's there's the the, the, the snowshoes in the background. We put this thing together. Um, and over time, I did the ceilings and everything. So it kind of has that, that uh, kind of attic-type look to it, that type of um, tent-type look to it. But uh, the, the, it's interesting, James, the wood, as the beams come together, there's wooden pegs in the middle. And if you wanted to take this thing apart and say, move it somewhere else, you would need a chainsaw to take that apart because that, over time, those, that, that oak has kind of twisted a little bit and those pegs are so locked in, there's no way you could ever separate those boards out again. You'd have to lift it completely or take a chainsaw to it. It's just amazing how they, they did things back then and, and how it's still going today. Well, human ingenuity never stops to amaze me. When right. I think of the technology that was available in 1767. Mm -hmm. 
And now we look at 2020, we have a different set of technology, which is why you and I have a job. We're in information security because of our technology and yeah. because of people who take advantage of it. But Mark, tell us a little bit about how you got started in security. Okay. So, um, you know, as a lot of kids growing up in the 70s and in, in, in 80s, you know, a lot of James Bond movies, all cool spy stuff. And, you know, end up, um, you know, kind of following that path a little bit going into the army for six years in the 90s. 93 and 99 like i was a counterintelligence agent uh went to haiti in 95 and then bosnia twice in 96 and 98 and and that was enough for my wife to to tell me to you know hey mark it's time to you know time to get out um you know uh, so but in the midst of that one of the things that a couple things i was doing actually three things i was doing within the uh the time there i got my master's degree in information systems management i was also doing a lot of programming c c plus plus java um, really got back into programming. It just had some in my spare time. I had a buddy that uh, we went to the master's course together and did some programming on different projects together. So that was going on. But we also had something going on within the Army where up, up until that time, James, I know that, you know, from a counterintelligence background, you would know this, but maybe a lot of people on the, on the show would not, is that um, the most vulnerable time for a spy to be caught is when the spy and the handler actually physically meet. That, that's when you want to get them, right? That's when you want to get both, you know, from there, who knows where it goes. We came up with uh, an idea, a plan that said, hey, what if the spy and the handler didn't have to be? And remember, this is the 90s. What if somebody within DOD was actually using something like PGP? They installed PGP on their computer. And what if they were using anonymous remailers to send messages that were encrypted? And what if they were using things like steganography to hide messages within pictures? You know, you think about back in the 90s, we didn't have all the data loss prevention. We didn't have all the all the types of security controls in and around network traffic to detect these types of things that we have today. And so um, it was very possible for someone to be doing uh, committing espionage right under your nose, um, and you wouldn't know it. Not that people were, but we, we put together this program called Digital Tradecraft. And we said that theoretically it's possible that somebody could be leveraging one or more of these tools or all three of them together to really commit espionage and therefore the spy and the handler <clears throat> never have to meet again. And that was a kind of a revolutionary step forward that really got me thinking, hey, maybe this is the direction, the, the kind of <clears throat> world that I want to really go into. But when I got out of the army, I ended up working for Sterling Software, a company that got bought out by Northrop Grumman, still worked with the army, <clears throat> the US uh, Army uh, INSCOM at Fort Belvoir, was doing a lot of programming there. Um, but as I developed in, in application security, I realized, you know, as I learned about things, you know, the difference between, you know, <clears throat> dynamic SQL, prepared statements and, and store procedures, right? I learned, hey, there's a difference between these and, and, you know, what's least secure and what's most secure. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. Not only can you program, but you can learn about app this application security. Um, there's something to it. Um, I want to learn more about it. And then later on in the, in, in the 2000s, I got into... Um, I had a friend who had a company that, that we, we had been in the army together. He said, hey, can you moonlight and do some ethical hacking for me? I think, you know, you, you, as, a, as a developer, you're going to be able to like shoot fish in a barrel. So um, I did some moonlighting. I found that I was finding all kinds of stuff in, in different clients' uh, websites, you know, all kinds of stuff that we, we, we would just totally freak out today. You know, <clears throat> um, social security numbers everywhere, you know, resumes everywhere all kinds of personal information, PII, everything out there, just un, un, you know, un, unencrypted, just wide open. 
And what I also found was that when we presented this information to the customers, you know, instead of getting some blowback and saying, well, you know, it was like, hey, thank you very much. Can you find, can you keep going and find other things for us, right? Can you keep digging? So we, we you know, we want to be clean. So with that in mind, I was like, you know, this is really, not only is it kind of fun to to do these types of things, right? And, and learning, you know, I mean, people kept, people kind of knew the basics of network security. That was okay. That, I mean, that was a necessary thing that you want to know about. But application security and, and hacking and, and uh, defending it seemed to be uh, you know, far more interesting to me at that time. And so in around, around 2009, <clears throat> I ended up uh, moving on to a job with Aetna. Aetna had um, been looking to uh, build up a software security program. That, that, so I was there at the very beginning with the first software security team. And then as things grew, as things evolved, we got bigger and bigger with global security at Aetna. Um, got to be over, you know, 200 plus people. And I ended up becoming the director of software and mobile security uh, for Aetna. But before that was the leader of the ethical hacking team. And so we built all that out. And as you, as you, you know, get into ethical hacking and, and you know, I'm a CEH and as you um, work within the enterprise and you're working with the network folks, you're working with the folks in policy and governance, you're, you're working with all kinds of people throughout the entire security organization, uh, especially if you find something. And then you have to bring it forward and 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 you know do the <clears throat> the incident response. You know everybody had their turn doing IR at Aetna. Everybody had their turn. Um, you know uh, looking through on my team. You know vulnerability reports, pen tests, and what have you. Um, I ended up building out a team that was, you know, and some people would consider to be the number one software security program in the world. I mean, I I, I wouldn't say that myself all the time, but other people in my leadership would. And I was like, well, great, you're putting a big target on our back. But they believed, and this is what we were talking about today, that the, the leadership believed in what we were doing so much that they were they would go out and say that, even though we were the ones that actually had to do the work. So it was kind of a, a double-edged sword. Um, so that's how I kind of got into it. And then uh, just over a year ago, right, about 14, 15 months ago, um, I had a friend in the Silicon Valley who says, hey, I don't know if you're looking to move on and do something else, but there is a startup called Bluescape, and they're looking for someone who I believe, um, you know, you might be the right person for that. So after about eh, 10, 11 interviews, you know, I flew out there, um, and I'm from California originally, so um, it's not a big deal to to, uh, to fly out there. Um, I was like, you know, this is a really cool company, a really cool um, business uh, offering, a really, a really cool, uh, the people I met were, were really cool, and I'm like, you know, I, I think I could do this. I, th I think this is where um, I'd like to move on to. And so I did again, 14 months ago. And it's just been, you know, on a, a rocket ship ever since. It's very, um, it's, it's very interesting to hear your background because, you know, military healthcare to now kind of a Silicon Valley startup, the, the, yeah. not exactly the, the, the path that people take. Most people start in a startup. Like, I mean, I get white hair cause yeah. I only work with startups. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I say if you're if you're a CISO, you're bound to shave years off your life just because of the role. But if you're a startup CISO, you're bound to shave three times the amount of years <laughs> off your life, um, simply because you're dealing with similar challenges without the money. Yes, and that is a that is a challenge um, where uh, you know any 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 startup you are really you know we'd say working twenty five cents on the dollar right yeah you are you are leveraging open source uh, you know uh, wherever you can 
um, if it if it's if it's sound and it if it's the if it's the the business need and the and the security need if you can if you can use open source then um, then so be it that's great there are times where you need to engage vendors and uh, bring down uh, the, the get, get the best vendor for the best price um, but you also <clears throat> you may have the vendors and the tools but you may not have the number of people that you would have in a large organization so one of the things that we have at Bluescape is that uh, a, a complete awareness um, of you know my role, but then working with our engineers and our architects and our ops and our cloud, we all work together as a team. And like I like to say that I'm very respectful of the other pieces of the organization, but there are times, right? And I'll put it into the Jira ticket, guys. We need to get this done, um, and you pull in the right people. You need to be respectful of the work that they have to do for the business side, but once you're able to present the case of, you know, we need to implement these security controls or this additional security control or this additional piece of security for this reason, if you can explain why that's necessary, then uh, I really have had little to no pushback. It's just a matter of organizing that effort in and around uh, the, the current projects and leveraging what I say, the organic talent within the organization. Bluescape has some really super smart people um, who are really interested in learning more about security. So it's really a win-win, right? So we get to come in, prioritize the security uh, controls and, 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 the, and, the, and the way forward that we need to go, but you also have got to balance it with the workload of the architects and the engineers. But once the bandwidth is there and you can get these things implemented, they tends, things tend to move pretty quickly. Yeah, that's. I, th I think that's that's so critical in terms of working across teams because it's 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 the only way as a as a CISO in a startup in a small company who may not have a big team, right? Who doesn't have a bunch of VPs and SVPs and directors and yeah, you know the the, the, the you know it's so critical to be able to work with the existing DevOps team and like you said, architects and engineers and cloud yeah. because they're really your eyes and ears too. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 those relationships help you avoid some of the, the things where you end up going and buying tools in an enterprise because you don't know it, like getting visibility, like pe just people randomly putting out cloud instances with data to test something and mm -hmm. they don't encrypt the data. They don't even use anything. They're just putting mm -hmm. out a cloud instance for three yeah. days and then they forget to take it down. They just leave it right, right there. Yeah. Yep. In, in yep. a startup, that would never happen because that be because of that relationship is there. Yeah, um, and and we have the controls right already in place. You know, not to name vendors or, or, or controls, but we do have those controls in place that would let us know. You know, get, send us an alert if something like that were to happen. We do get alerts like that when people, even when people are standing up, you know, new instances, even if it's totally legit, we still get alerts and we double check just to make sure that what we're seeing is legitimate behavior. We have a we have a program already in place that that handles that almost on a daily basis as we build out new things. That's excellent. So tell me a little bit, you know, as we, we talk a little bit, I want to talk to you a little bit about leadership. And I, I think that's thinking security. Um, we, 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 the, the discussion around leadership is now starting to really take shape. I know that in a lot of different posts I do on LinkedIn now, we see the idea of anyone can go out and get a, a job and, and, and a lot of leaders discount, you know, a lot of different things because there's the idea of when I hire someone, I don't, I don't want a, 
a follower. I kind of want a leader uh, per se. Mm -hmm. So what, in, in your opinion, what are some of the key skills and qualities you look for when you're interviewing people to be part of your security team? Yeah. So um, right now I, um, you know, I'm looking for people that are hungry, that are go-getters, that are willing to, um, you know, wake up on East Coast, work, start working on East Coast time and end it on West Coast time. Um, you know, as you know, with the startup, right? That's, that's how I just kind of easily you know, frame it, that you're going to work some long hours. Um, not all the time, but there are times when everything, you know, you're just, you're moving out and things move fast. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be a know-it-all. I don't want to know it all. I don't want someone coming in saying, okay, well, you know what? Cool. In my last place that I, I was at, you know, we did it all this way and we're going to do it this way and you guys have it all wrong or why are you doing all this? This We don't have time for that, at least right now, right? We, I, you know, question people, it's always good to question things, right? But I don't need someone coming in and trying to uh, take over the, the program or, or in, in, in even a piece of it. I need someone that can work with me and the rest of the team as a team player. That's what I'm you know, really trying to, to hammer here is that we need team players. Um, we really have a culture at Bluescape where everyone kind of puts their ego aside and we work together to get things done, regardless of what your, you know, what your title may be. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm working with, you know, at, at Peter Jackson at the senior, at CEO level, and I'm working all the way down, um, you know, with, with folks in, in the, the front desk, HR, and with, uh, with ops and engineers. It depends on the, on the work where you're going back and forth. But for my team, um, I just hired someone, a uh, young guy who's got his master's degree, um, has a really a lot of good theoretical knowledge and, and some decent hands-on knowledge and then some other knowledge in other areas, but he's hungry. He wants to learn. And he, he was a good cultural fit within the company. I knew that it, that this person, I could have him work with the engineers and the architects or the ops people and everything would be, would, would, would work. You just kind of know when you do go through the interview process, is this the type of person that I want to be talking to on Slack all day long? Is this the type of person that I want to bring in the meetings and, and, and cut loose with a vendor to get something stood up, right? Those are the types of things I'm looking for. Now that might be totally different in an, or some other organization. That might, that might be totally, you know, counter to what some CISOs would want. But for what we're doing, I know exactly what I'm looking for. And I found someone on my team. Now we we do have, for example, uh, an opening for, and this is not a HR thing here, but we do have a, a, C, a, a software security, software security architect, right, that we're looking for. And this person would be like somebody that would be like a hybrid between working for me and working with the engineers and the architects. And I'm actually meeting with the lead of that area later on today to help him formulate the job description. We're going to work together to get the words right, right? The magic words into the rec. So anybody who sees this rec is going to say, okay, I can do that or now I'll, I'll pass. Um, so again, that's a, a prime example of something going on later today of working together um, with the engineers um, and the architects to, to get this language together, pass it around and then go to HR and have it, I guess, deployed to the, uh, to the website. Um, so that's, that's something that we're working on. Um, you know, I, I really think we, we, we need to have people who are, um, open to, uh, to new ideas, who, who want to, uh, 
to move into areas that maybe they're uncomfortable with, right? I over over the, the my career as as a leader, I've brought in people that oh I can't do this, Mark. This is too much. I don't, I don't know why you've given me this project. I believe in you. I believe you can do that, right? Um, so even if the person may not even have the res the, the perfect skill set, if I know that if I just instinctively feel that person can do it, I'm going to hand that off to them and I'll guide them and help mentor them to get there and, and bring in the people to support them. I'm, I've never, I've never put somebody out on their own and cut them loose and said, well, you're going to, you're going to sink or swim on your own and no one's going to help you. We're all here to help you. Um, it would take quite a bit for someone on my team to fail because we're not going to let them fail. We all, if for some reason something doesn't go exactly right, you know, we, we learn from it and move on. But um, I hope, I hope that kind of gives you a picture of what I'm looking for within someone from Bluescape. Um, well, I mean, I mean, to, to me, absolutely. I think for people listening, it's it's refreshing because a lot of times, you know, I, 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 I posted something earlier this week on LinkedIn and I was um, I had a conversation with someone who um, got started in um, cyber about four years ago, really kind of decided to do a career change and um, decided to get into cyber and um they, they did a basic, you know, security plus cert and went and got some hands on, but they were middle management beforehand. So they mm-hmm. took a step back because they wanted to start a new career and realized that that can push them forward. Mm-hmm. And so the person asked me, James, I want to get a middle management job in cyber. What cert should I go for? And so I was like, you know what? That's a great question. I'm going to post it on LinkedIn. Um, it got over 50 replies uh, literally within 24 hours of all kinds of different people that, that weighed in. And a lot of times, you know, we're like, should, you know, CISSP seems to be what almost generally is being asked of. Mm -hmm. But there were so many different opinions around the kind of stuff um, people look for. Um, Several people said, Hey, uh, you know, when I hire someone in middle management, I don't care what security certs they have. I want a PMP because they're going to be running projects. So I want to know that they, they'll be able to, uh, yeah, they're more organized and understand project management than they do security. They go, no mm-hmm. cert will tell me if they understand security, but a PMP will let me know they know how to manage the project. And I'm more concerned with project management because I can bring the talent around that person sure. and so forth. And so it's very interesting to hear you say that because that's, that's another, another common box that was missing there, which is, you know, we want people to succeed. You know, it doesn't matter what you come with. We're not looking for a cert. We're looking for someone being hungry. And experience trumps. A lot of people spoke of experience. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of times, you're not the one looking at the at the CVs. You're, you're creating a rec. It's going to HR. Mm-hmm. And HR is looking at your requirements. And if these people don't hit your requirements, you don't even get to see them. Yeah. I, I think also one of the things I'm looking for too, I mean, some of the bonuses, right? D- does the person have developer experience? Do they have, have right. they written programs? Um, if they say they do cool, then that leads me to the next question, right? So if anybody who's ever going to interview with me, uh, who's watching this, right? I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you, okay, so you say you developed such and such. What language did you do? What, what, what language did you write it in? And, and, and what was your approach? How did you write it? How did you go about creating this program. And this is really important to me. And this is not just for programming, but for any project. If someone says, well, when I was at company such and such, I did this. Ask them about it and find out, do they really start to get into the details, right? Do they say, well, you know, 
I uh, I pulled in three people. We met, you know, twice a week. We we put everything together in this type of um, you know spreadsheet. Um, you know, we we use this kind of language. We we pulled in different tools, better, and we 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 mapped it out over ninety days or whatever it was or sixty days. And I reported to so and so, and we had milestones along the way. If, if they start getting into specifics, right, about what they did, and and how they did it. And it gets beyond just fluff, but they actually get specifics as to different pieces. Then you're going to know the person probably actually did it, in, in my opinion, right? You're going to you're going to find out. Okay, this person's not, um, you know, full of BS. They're actually, um, you know, someone who actually uh, accomplished something. Whereas if you ask those same questions to somebody and and they kind of look around and they kind of flounder a little bit and they try to change the subject or you know divert. I just can't answer it. Then you're you're going to know that maybe they were a part of some program, right? But they weren't the ones that actually did it. I've used that as a barometer quite a bit to kind of cut the wheat from the shaft um, through the interview process. When we t let's talk a little bit about leadership from a from a CISO role perspective. What skills do you think it's vital for a CISO to have in order to be an effective leader of his team? Yeah, you've got to be a really good listener. Not a, not a not a, I mean not a good listener, but a great listener. You know, you've really got to be someone who listens and listens to the business side. You know, I was taught long ago that without the business, there's no security. Right? You're going to need a job somewhere else. Right? The business business runs the show. Um, your job as a CISO is to understand the business requirements, and then work with the business to allow them to understand what are the threats and some people would say risks right some people don't like to use the word risk they, they think it scares off people um, but your job is to really present the big picture to the business as to the current state of security within the organization and then the top threats that can get us hurt that have not been addressed that have not been um looked at for whatever reason, you don't point fingers, right? It's right or wrong, but hey, um, leadership, um, I understand that, <clears throat> you know, we're doing this and moving out. However, did you realize that we have a huge gap here and here? And if we are to be taken seriously by customers and to stay out of the headlines and for, you know, because it's the right thing to do as a matter of due diligence, we need to prioritize these three things, for example, and then we need to make sure that no matter what happens, come 60 days, 90 days, whatever the timeline would be, we have to imagine a world where those are complete. We, we, we can't keep going if these types of things are not addressed and not fixed. And so you can't go after everything. You can't boil the ocean. You can't go off the ent entire attack surface at once. You've got to understand the attack surface and be able to um, explain that to the leadership of the company, but also at the same time, listen to them as to where the company is going and um, listen to the folks around you in ops and cloud and engineers and architects. And you, you, you take all of that in and you'd like filter it down into the message that's going to resonate with the company, with the leadership, you know, as you make your, your case for security. So it's a, you know, some people may look at it as, well, I've got to put a briefing together and tell the, tell the leadership all about this, you know, all these great ideas I have. And you might have great ideas, 
But if they're not in line with the business, you're going to have problems. And so you've got to be able to establish that connection between the business side and, and listen to them. One of the things that I've been able to do, and again, James, my, you know, as I have talked to you before, what, one of my goals at Bluescape, perhaps the ultimate goal, is to build out our security program to ensure that the Bluescape enterprise security program, whether it be in our corporate environment, in our AWS environment, everything that we do rivals that of a Fortune 50 company on 25 cents on the dollar. We have to do it on a startup budget, but we can do it. And we've done many things already in the last 14 months to help us get there. We're not done yet, but by having that close relationship, for example, with Kevin, our, our CFO, right? He and I work together quite a bit, right? I have to present my case to Kevin when I need something, right? It's gotta be in line with the business. It has, it has to make sense to him and it has to be um, something that is gonna help us um, fill a gap, but at the same time, present extra value to the company um, as we onboard new customers and, and provide that information to existing customers. So one of the things that I've been blessed to, to be able to have is a law degree, even though four years of law school was at George Mason was tough, right? It really helps in the case of working with Kevin and our legal team when we get contracts or proposed contracts terms and conditions and you're dealing with all kinds of different vendors and customers right hey mark can you jump on a call we need to talk about this can you look at this document so so as a CISO, i might be doing things a little bit differently than some CISOs. i'm actually looking at legal documents and giving it a once over before it even goes to the lawyers so when i talk to the lawyers i'll say hey um did my i did my review you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I did my review. Here are the things that I think are very important for us to understand and that might get us hurt, but it ultimately goes back to the lawyer to, to make their final legal recommendations, right? But that's been a, a, a big part of, of what I do uh, on top of all the technical part of, of things that we do. So that has helped instill confidence within the C-suite, especially with our CFO that, um, you know, when, when Mark brings something forward, and I don't do it all the time, you have to make sure you don't wear out that welcome, right? But when you bring something forward and you say, hey, you know, we've got something here that we need to talk about, um, that it's taken very seriously. So critical. Um, there was so much wisdom in what you just said in terms of just not only leadership, but working across the enterprise to really build um, relationships, <coughs> build fans, and, and so often not wearing that welcome. So many security mm -hmm. people will go, I got a great relationship with my CIO, with my CFO, with the, you know, the, you know, the chief legal officer. I to, to go to him every day with stuff. And I'm like, are you sure that's right? Like, maybe you shouldn't go every day. Maybe you should go like, I don't know, do lunch once every two weeks. Talk about, you know, prioritize yeah. everything. Yeah, it depends, right? It depends on what kind of relationship. If, if you're, if you're in a company, let's say a, a big corporation where, um, you know, you, for whatever reason, you're like this with the CIO, right? You, you're friends, you know each other from prior experience, or there's just that relationship. I and mean, that's one thing, right? And then you, you want to keep that going, right? You don't want to deliberately distance yourself from somebody that if you've got that open door. But um, in the case where everybody's doing, like, as you, you know, with the startup, everybody's super maxed out and busy, right? You got to pick and choose the times to, to state your case 
and state it well and state it very efficiently and and not waste people's time. And um, that's just not something you want to do every day. So, so Mark, let's talk a little bit about cyber because, you know, security as, as a whole is is a very big term. I always like to say that when people silo security, uh, they're, si- they're siloing an engine that runs the entire yeah. vehicle, right? Security can't be siloed. Yeah. It's really got to run across. It's, it's like finance. It's like ops, right? It's like HR. HR isn't siloed. Yeah. HR runs across the entire organization. So does security. What aspect of security do you spend the most time on in, in, in your current role? And, and why do you spend so much time on, on that one aspect of security? Yeah, I would, I would say, I mean, honestly, I, I thought about this, right? Because I knew that this might be a question you would ask. And, um, you know, people say, well, what's, what's the biggest part of your, of your job? And, and I would say it depends. It depends on where we're at with um, what's going on. I mean, um, for example, a, a good part, you know, part of the job of a CISO is, you know, business recovery, disaster recovery, business continuity, right? BCDR. Um, now, leading up to RSA, where we were supposed to meet, you know, and then things kind of <laughs> pushed aside, right? Um, we were looking at a BCDR, you know, scenario, tabletop exercise this year, you know, without COVID, take COVID out of it. We were going to, to do um, at, at the office in San Carlos, we were going to do a full-fledged active shooter drill, right? Because a lot of people were very concerned about that. You know, think about leading up to, that time it was just one you know shooting after another all the time and so a lot of people were like hey what do we do so we said well this is a great scenario to to go through right train everybody on it and then actually um you know again pull in the right people to to know, and the know and then the rest or not um and so that all went out the window when COVID 19 hit right we were like well you know everybody's working from home and, and to our to his credit, uh, Peter Jackson, our CEO, was really out in front of the whole thing in February, starting to say, "Okay, something's going on here, right? Um, you know, what, you know, we need to start thinking about you know backing out." And before you know it, Bluescape became 100% work at home. We still have people going in the office periodically to pick up machines and do things like that. But um, my role shifted from this tabletop exercise with an active shooter to what, how are we going to protect our entire workforce working from home? So that was one thing that we had to shift gears, right? We had some people work at home, but not like it, not like this. And this is a common uh, scenario for a lot of CISOs, a lot of CIOs. They're all trying to figure this out, right? I think we've come through it and we're a lot better off now than we were, but People were like, okay, do we everybody work in a VM? Do we have all the, the right endpoint protections? And, you know, um, and, you know, NIST security best practices. We don't know what their home router's like. You know, we don't, we, we, we don't have little men running around everybody's house to make sure they're secure. So we, you know, you do what you can with what you've got. Increase the, the security awareness training. We have, you know, we, we implemented, um, you know, enhanced email protection. Um, endpoint security, um, you know, make sure everything was up to date uh lots of lots of newsletters lots of training lots of town halls lots of things that um just constant reminders right um you know don't you know don't if, if you're on a, if you're not sure don't click on it you know just forward it to bluescape security will take the rest you know it, it, it emphasize that everyone's on the front lines when it comes to phishing email or voice phishing um and things like that um 
and we, we made that transition. But also one of the things I had to do, I got with HR uh, because the county of San Mateo had a, a restriction on people traveling and going to work and all that. And we had to let our t- people know that if you went to the office, you know, um, if, you, if, you, if you were stopped by a law enforcement officer, um, here's, here's the reason you have to explain to them why you're going to the office. So we, we got with legal and made sure all that was, was put together to protect our employees in the event they had to go to the office. You know, that was something that we would cover them. So these are all new things that we hadn't thought of, you know, back in February when we were at RSA, right? To be fair, no one thought of it, right? I mean, we yeah. were at RSA. It was it was very, very interesting. I said it, um, RSA was the last real um, conference we did. Um, yeah. And even then, people were, you know, elbow. We knew something was happening. Yeah. Um, about three yeah. weeks before RSA, I hosted one of my sister roundtables in yeah. Dallas. And it was right when um, President Trump had banned flights from China. They were looking mm-hmm. at banning flights from Europe. Yeah. And, and I remember we, we got on, a, on on the flight from Atlanta to Dallas. And I'm looking around the airplane and some people have masks on, other don't. There was no mask yeah. mandate at the time. This was February. Yeah. yeah. Right, early February. But at RSA, there were a lot more people wearing masks on the flights. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was inter- it was it was eerie because we had a we had a booth at RSA, and uh, we were right across from, from the sneak, uh, uh-huh. company. and and uh, and so we were yeah, talking to them quite a bit. Nobody was really wearing masks. We had the hand sanitizer, right? right. But there there were just a few masks, um, and then it turned out you know that and another thing as part of doing your job at that point in time we were we're still we're still really heavily involved. Um, with clients who want Bluescape for a situational awareness um, type of a solution. And that was one of the things that we were really talking about a lot at RSA. And um, because, you know, evidently, because I did a decent job at RSA, they're like, hey, Mark, can you stay over the weekend and go down to San Diego for the West Conference with all the military, right? With the, with the Navy and the, and the Marines. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool, you know, because you get to, get, the cool, get to see all the cool equipment. And you know, so we, we were there for a couple of days and, uh, spent a lot of time with different vendors and nobody was wearing a mask either, but it was getting towards the end of February. Right. Um, and it was getting, when I flew home from San Diego, the Philly to Maine, um, still only a couple of people wearing masks, but you were, I really felt like this might be the very, the last flight I'm taking for quite a while. Um, I just kind of felt it right. This things, things are it was just eerie and, well, it felt like yeah. it was like a, like a, like an episode of Doom, right? Like you're you're you're, you're you know something is coming around the corner. You hear it coming, but you're kind yeah. of wanting to ignore it until it's in your face. Yeah. And and I think yeah. COVID COVID, which which has been has been a real challenge, has also made CISOs, I think, far more relevant. Yeah, I, I mean, um, yeah, I mean it. it it, it is. I, and I think the, the role of CISO is, is where maybe in the, in the, you know, in the case of Bluescape, right. I, I worked with Natalie in HR on some things already, but she and I really had to work together to make sure that we were covering everything from, um, you know, from a, from a work at home and going back in the office perspective. So my time with H with HR increased because of COVID. Right. Um, and then being able to, put together a work at home security best practices program, which I started to work on in March, you know, as we saw more and more 
uh, people and the, the you know, reading the tea leaves that you know Peter Jackson, our CEO, was leaning towards. Hey, you know, if you want to work from home, go ahead. And pretty soon, uh, it became like you know, uh, it's it's so bad, no one's going back in the office. So you kind of saw it coming. So I was like, you know, I need to get ahead of, out ahead of this and start putting together some kind of work at home best security best practice. So what we have, what I one of the first things I built, actually the first thing I built when I got into Bluescape was this huge confluence page called our security center, where it's a one-stop shop for everybody in the company to, to know what to do, report an incident, report a suspicious email. And then we've got a link at the top in red, you know, security, work at home security best practices. We included that in there. So everybody in the company can just simply go to the security center, click on the work at home security best practices. We've got our, our mobile and teleworking policy there that's ISO certified. That tells people the, the, the policy guidance and then we also had the NIST security best practices as far as how to configure your router at home in the event you haven't done so. And so those are just a few things, plus constant reiter, you know, reiteration of you know, working at home you know, with email protection, um, you know, all these things, reporting anything suspicious to security at bluescape.com. And I have to say, um, for a company of about 250 people, the, the people are very, very, the Bluescapers are very, very security aware. I, I do get, you know, sometimes it's just like some spam email. I get, you know, hey, I like to call you for, you know, let's let's talk about such and such um, product. Mark, is this, a, is this an attack? I'm like, nah, no, it's just, it's just a cheesy sales pitch. But thank you for the email. Keep them coming, right? We're never going to turn them away, right? So people are definitely aware if they're getting an email from somebody that, they're, that they don't know, especially if it's got a link or attachment in it, so far so good. And we just have to keep um, keep that going. And that's a balance in itself, right? You want to make sure that you keep people aware and kind of wired tight on that issue, but you don't want to keep talking about it too much. You don't want to be a broken record, but you don't want to let it lapse too long either. You want to make sure you've got that right balance of constant, you know, periodic reiteration of the things that can get us hurt. And so far, so good. It seems to be working out. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the whole work from home thing has been it's been very very interesting. It it seems like it's kind of moved up a timeline for a lot of companies. I know some companies were saying, "Hey, by 2025, we want to be 50-50." Yeah. Now everyone's like, "We're 50-50 now. We're looking how we can be 70-30, 70% work from home, come into the office yeah. a day or two a week." Period. Yeah. Well, a lot of surveys out there are are finding that employees there was almost like this curve, right? Where in the beginning, beginning was like, I don't want to work from home. I want to go in the office. I don't want to work. And then as time goes on, the, the amount of people accepting working from home and saying, you know, it's not so bad after all. You know, I can work in my pajamas. I, can, I don't I don't have to jump in the car and, and drive it, you know, half an hour to an hour each way. Um, you know, um, I get to spend more time with my family, perhaps. Uh, but at the same time, people feel compelled perhaps to work more hours. They feel like I really can't turn off that computer, right? I, now that I've got it in front of me, you've got this, this other thing going on. And um, again, to his credit, Peter Jackson, our CEO, just put on LinkedIn a couple of days ago, hey, you know, it's okay to disconnect. You know, the best people that are productive, most productive people are the ones that take a break. And, but that's not an easy thing for a lot of people to do. You know, they, they want to be seen on Slack as, you know, be available. They want to be there to help others. They want to be, part of the action, right? We've got a lot of things going on and I, I want to be part of the action. I see a lot of things going on. I want to be there to help in case something comes up, right? It's just nature, but there are, there comes a point where you've got to disconnect and take a break. Um, 
yeah. If you don't mind, I want to I want to kind of bring this out because, uh, you know, I was having this discussion and I think it's really valid for 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 security purposes. Right. So security awareness programs as a whole, when it was when you were in an office, when you were in a place where you could run it, you know, you'd have, yeah. you know, once so people would do the online training or, you know, you would do the kind of, you know, I don't know how you did your awareness trainings. It could have been, you know, maybe going to address a specific group. Um, I'm. I'm one of those that I believe that there's no one uniform uh, right. tra- awareness training. That different department, different departments need to be trained about different things at different times, because the yeah. threats vary. Does that make sense? Like, like to me, accounting, finance, they they need more awareness training. They need to be constantly kind of put in a spot where they're always thinking about stuff they do because any attack on them means monetary harm for the organization. And that's mm-hmm. something you don't want to have taken place, which is yeah. different from, let's say, for example, DevOps and, you know, open source secure code awareness, GitHub and, and the different things yeah. that, that go on in their realm, which is right. completely different. So, like, I'm, I'm, I'm in the concept of I love um, the, the different security awareness programs that are out there. And there's some great vendors and, and one of them actually sponsors our show. So, you know, um, um, they have great products. But then at the same time. Um, at the same time, though, not everything is addressed in one awareness training and not all the organization is the same. And what I found to be the challenge during COVID was you're right about one thing. People want to be productive and people first hated it and now they love it. They don't want to come back to the office. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And and so what ends up happening, though, is people work in spurts now. So I can wake up in the morning and if I've got kids, I may wake up at 6 a.m before my kids even wake up and work and answer a few emails. And then as my kids get up, I'll go upstairs and I'll, you know, help my spouse and getting the kids yeah. ready and, and, and getting them plugged in yeah. and, and feeding them breakfast. And I spend time with my family. I come back downstairs. I jump on a bunch yeah. of calls. I go upstairs yeah. for, you know, I go have lunch with my family, break, come back down, work again, um, go help my wife, put the kids to sleep you know, spend some quality time before the kids go to bed, which before you'd be on the road. So now you go, all right, at five o'clock, I'm really going to check out until about eight. Once the kids are back to bed, I'm going to go clock back in for two more hours and and, and work. And what that's done is it's created spurts where as a person gets used to that routine, security becomes a a, a, a kind of a, a, an afterthought because if you're, you know, we all have children, so we know that children are unexpected. We also know that children, you have a schedule for a child. That schedule is more for you and less for the child um, mm-hmm. because, you know, the children are just children. That's exactly what they are. They're not adults. That's what we call them children. I found that that to be a real challenge in terms of security awareness. The idea that people are off and on, off and on, off and on, off and on, that sometimes, you know, things are happening in the background. They're easily distracted there's things yeah. that are going on that you don't you can't really control the environment and it creates yeah. a uh you know that moment of oh shoot i clicked that link or i opened that attachment and, yeah. and then and then that reporting aspect of it which which becomes like do i really want to report it or, yeah or do i just you know yeah yeah i mean we we have it to where really that people really feel like they can report anything and not we're not going to hold it against them right it, it, you know if god forbid something happens just just let us know about it right you know we're not gonna we're not gonna take you out in the public square and 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 throw tomatoes at you um you know we're we're, we're going to handle it 
right? But we can't help you. We can't help <clears throat> the company if we don't know about it. So best thing to do is just be forthright and honest because sooner or later we're going to find out about it anyway, um, one way or another. So um, so far so good. People, you know, I think people are get, get the message on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think in in some ways I would say that by taking those periodic breaks, um, it does refresh the brain. It does refresh people to feel kind of energized to get back on and say, okay, I, I you know, uh, I've, I've taken a, a good decent break, almost like taking a nap, right? Where you just take a break and you come back and and now you're uh, kind of recharged a little bit, a little more refocused. I, it, it, it's a mixture, James, and, and I, I don't know if we have all the, the you know, we don't have all the data, I don't think, to, to really break it all down yet. But this is going to be a very interesting case study for a lot of scientists, uh, social scientists, behavioral scientists to see, you know, when they look back on this, how it all played out. Um, I'll keep an eye on your, your thoughts about the security part. I haven't seen that impact on us thus far, but... It doesn't mean it, you know, obviously it couldn't happen. So I'll keep that in mind. Again, being a good listener, I'm listening and saying, hey, you know, something that I really haven't experienced yet, but that's a good good thing, that, a good little footnote to put down that, you know, something to think about. Well, it's, it's, you know, we look at security as a whole, right? Holistically, you know, and I, I don't want to get stuck on work from home. I think we have far more interesting stuff to discuss. But if, if you look at how, um, people view security within an organization. I also see the different generational gaps when we talk about awareness trainings. Um, I see that the people who are freshly graduated or within five years of college graduation or finishing their studies are far more aware of things from a security perspective than say someone who's been 20 years working. There's yeah. just, and, and that, that's part of, you know, those people technologically adopt and adapted very different than, you know, the the people with a little bit more uh, work experience, but across an organization, I've seen it, you know, being that I work with multiple startups at the moment, it's very interesting for me because, you know, I go to different organizations and I see the, the culture starts with, with the leadership, with the CEO. Right. And, 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 and so, you know, you talk about Peter Jackson, I think everything starts with the CEO. If the CEO is able to deliver that, we don't have a department in this company that's a hindrance to the organization, but rather they're here to support the business. And then CISOs like yourself will come in and say, hey, I'm not here to tell you no. You tell me what you want to do. We'll find a way to make it happen, right? That both in, you know, ensures that you're able to get your job done and get a business product done, but also do so securely. There, there's yeah. an aspect to that. There's never a no. You know, I, I, yeah. I have a sign you know, in, in, that says, we never say no. Right, like we just we yeah. don't say no. Never say that word. No does not come out of your mouth. Say I want to think about it. Say let me check it. I'll get back yeah. to you. You're not sure. Pass it down. We've got enough smart people that know how to solve problems. Mm-hmm. But don't say no because I think the moment you say no to someone is the moment they get turned off by security and they're no longer listening. And you talk about yeah. active listening. When someone tells you no right off the bat, you go, "Hey, I have an idea." No. You turn mm-hmm. off automatically yeah. human behavior, no matter how good you are. Yeah. 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 That's, that seems to be something from the past that people still hold on to. They, 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 they come in when they talk to security, maybe they're a little bit like, you know, on defense and think, Oh, this guy's just going to say no and shut me down. Right. So maybe I shouldn't say anything or even ask or talk about it. Um, but you're right. Um, that there's no, there's no point in saying no. 
it's like okay you, again that goes back to part of the listening right listen listen hear it through you know what is the individual on the other side of this conversation um you know trying to explain to me obviously it's very important to them and it's very important to the organization so you need to listen um and as you're listening you should be thinking about how can i work with this person and this project to make it secure and like you said if you've got some, i would say if you got some ideas you can say well cool that you know do you, have you thought about this have you thought about this right um i know that we could probably do this or but if you don't know but you're like i need to take it back and think about it say yeah it's cool i've got i'm taking some notes um thank you for sharing i'll i'll, I'll take this under consideration and, and come back and let you know what uh what my recommendations are a good example of this uh one of the guys i work with uh michael in uh, engineering pinged me on Slack yesterday. And he's like, hey, Mark, we've got a new initiative going on um, with such and such API, uh, with this new functionality. Would you mind taking a look at the Confluence page? And um, we've tagged you from a security perspective um, to, to do a security review, or at least review what we're, what we're contemplating and um, you know, give us your opinion. Now, that right there, right, just that alone is something that you don't see in every organization, right? Right. When they come to me, I mean, I've suddenly, and over the last year, say, when these new initiatives, these new projects are coming out, ensure that I'm involved. Tag my name, bring me in, we'll go through it together, and at least I'm aware of what is going on. So at a minimum, we can schedule dynamic scanning or pen testing or code reviews or whatever's necessary, threat modeling or whatever we, whatever we need to do to help support you from a security perspective, we can do that. But I can't help you if I don't know about it, right? Right. So now I'm being told about this new API initiative, right? And I talked to him on Slack for a while last night. And, you know, it's, it's a really good back and forth. And so by establishing that, that connection and, and me listening to Michael and, and Michael listening to me, um, it, it's, it's worked out very well. We've been working together closely for over a year now, and um, we've accomplished a lot together. And he's just one person at Bluescape. There's others um, that I'd like to mention, you know, Alan, and, and people who will see this will know what I'm talking about, you know, Rupin and Oswald and Nick. We have a great team. I mean, there's so many people that I've worked with at, at Bluescape who, you know, we, we present ideas to each other, we discuss them, we work together as a team, and we get to the other side. By the time it hits the production, the product is out there. It's had a security review, um, and one way, what more, one way or, or many ways, um, depending on what what that new feature might be. So, um, I have to say, um, I'm I'm very very impressed from a startup perspective. Our our uh, our approach has been one of security first from day one since I got there, and that was one of the reasons why I joined the company. You know, um, I you know, I think I said in one of my interviews, well, you guys talk about security first. Can you tell me what that means? What does that mean to you? And as they went through the different um, components of what the things they'd already done or wanted to do um, in the AWS environment, in the corporate environment, I was like, okay, um, these guys, they get it. They totally get it. And uh, it, it was, it's been a very good relationship. Brilliant. So let me ask you this. As you look at security practitioners across the U.S. today across the world, you know, within within our network. Right. What are some of the things that were, what, what's a challenge that you see us really, you know what, we've overcome this, this is no longer an issue. 
And what challenge do you go, we still have a long ways to go before we can solve this specific challenge that exists for security folks? I think, I think, I, well, it's kind of wrapped within the same, it's kind of like one of those Russian dolls. You just kind of right. keep pulling. The yeah. babushkas. Babushkas, yeah. It's like, it's all compacted within the little doll, right? You start pulling it back saying, DevOps, DevSecOps, right? <laughs> so we all know we have to have it, right? Uh, uh, you know, especially as a software company. But everybody knows that DevOps is, is really, you know, they've inserted sec in the middle, right? Some people will argue all day over beers about whether sec should be in there or not. But security has to be part of DevOps, right? And so they know, we, we, I think there's a realization that no longer do we have to sit there and say security can't be part of it. It's got to be part of it. It's got to be automated as much as possible. You've got to have as much visibility as far left as you can, the whole thing, right? Everybody, I think a lot of that, that I think, I would hope, has been put to rest. That that has to be done. The other side of it within the doll is you start getting down into the you know, is how is that being done? Is it actually being done? Theoretically, people know it's been put to rest that we have to have security within our DevOps environment, you know, automated as part of the build process, right? The other part is has it actually been done? Is it being done, or are we just still talking about it, right? I think that's still going on in the industry that has not been conquered yet is people still arguing about how that's to be done how much automated how much manual um you know what types of tests those types of things are still going on that are still being ironed out so i would say again within that same little russian doll you've got this devsecops discussion going on one half we know we have to do it the other half still trying to figure it out yeah, DevOps is a, is a very, um, I think that's a first, by the way. Um, I'll have to go through my Excel. I keep an Excel of a log of that specific question, but I don't think I've ever seen DevOps on there. Typically, we talk about awareness. We talk about, you know, endpoint protection or, you know, people talk about cloud. Um, very yeah. rarely do people talk about DevOps, but DevOps is critical. Um, it, 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 it's a very interesting point because, you know, Bluescape, for example, you guys are, 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 are U.S.-based. I, spe I speak to a lot of systems, and in fact, some of my startups where we have our DevOps team in four different parts of the world. And so I've got DevOps folks that, you know, are in, in, in places of the world that I don't say I don't trust, mm -hmm. but I'm a bit more... Um, I'm a bit more aware of the kind of fraud and IP theft that happens there and mm -hmm. the, what I like to call, um, um, you know, there's a word in Hebrew and it's called kombina. And for those who listen from, from Israel who speak Hebrew, when they hear the word kombina, they get a big smile on their face and they go, ah, the kombina essentially comes from the world combination. Okay. And what it means is that, um, <clears throat> In Israel, there's a, there's a really uh, interesting thing. So um, a combina means that my uncle may know someone who knows someone there, and they're going to do a combina to help me get something that I otherwise wouldn't get so easily or so swiftly if I didn't have that combina. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like it's yeah. a hookup, right? Like combina is yeah. kind of like a hookup. Like you've got a shortcut to get somewhere. People okay. know people, people know people, and so forth. And so I was in Israel last month and um, um, speaking to one of the DevOps teams. 
and so and and yes i did travel during COVID. a lot of people know this um i, I was i was in israel uh for a month i had to do two weeks in quarantine and then i spent two weeks um enjoying the beach of tel aviv and and, and just the sun and uh riding a scooter around town and it was magnificent um couldn't 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 ask for anything better um especially after being locked up you know in your house in the states just being able to go outside and, and just you know smell the fresh ocean you know that yeah, main yeah. you know you just the ocean is, is completely different yeah um so kind of look looking at that um um one of one of the very um interesting aspects of speaking to our devops team was you know we have a devops team there and then their team is split up to two other places one in europe mm-hmm. and one in asia and so we st- i started asking you know our head of devops i go well how are we ensure how are we monitoring how are we checking the fact you know they're working remote different yeah. parts of the world you know so forth and and we had to really uh put our heads together to figure out a plan of how do you monitor devops that are yeah. now working from home um in, in 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 environments you really don't control because typically you know when you outsource or you, you you work from a from a from a different office or with a partner in a different nation you know they typically have those controls and very quickly you know you're 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 picking up the phone and asking them like hey so what are you guys doing how are you guys monitoring this and you yeah. realize it's not efficient um yeah. and so um it's very interesting that you said devops uh, that was kind of a story i was just like you brought it up i was like wow yeah. that's literally what i've spent the last two months working on is, 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 yeah. is devops yeah there's a difference between the devops monitoring right um are we up are we you know are we down um and then there's the security part of it right of the you know is our code being um scanned for every build new, new features being um being scanned and reviewed um if so, you know, where are the findings at? Where's the dashboard? You know, how are we alerted to any critical or high findings? Um, do we just do it, do it? Is it a pass through or do we break the build, right? These are all things that, that I think about a lot and we, we talk about um, that, we, that, we, that we just, you know, that we deal with as a team. Um, and I think that just from my larger involvement with like all day DevOps and the DevOps community, I think I, I just, maybe I'll say it's settled law Right. It's, right. But, but I think it's, I mean, I want to, I hope that it's settled that if you, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're running DevOps and you need to have security in there, you, you should know that at least that whether you've been able to do it successfully and, and how is another, is quite another question. So we're, 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 we're a bit over time and we're, we're right at the end folks. So, so stick around with us. I know we're, we're over the hour mark, but we're having such a fun conversation. I don't want it to end. Um, I feel like this is one of my favorite Joe Rogan episodes, right? Where you're just, you know, you know, Joe is talking to his guest and they're just going at it. And it's like hour two hour. You don't even notice it. Um, yeah. you're, you're listening and it's a great conversation. And, and I just looked at our clock and I'm like, oh, wow, we're, we're, it's a, it's been an hour already. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we're, 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 we're going to get right into our CISO insight round folks. It's that time where we put our. CISO Mark Willis today, folks, the CISO at Bluescape on the hot seat. Uh-oh. Six questions, one word. Only I get to ask if I want an explanation, folks. So just so you know, we're well, I'm, I'm going to walk outside to my graveyard right now. I've got a buzzword graveyard in my backyard. It's got a bunch of uh, headstones. My neighbors think I'm really weird. I tell them it's my uh, daughter's boyfriends that I bury out here. AI, ML, you know, you name it. Um <laughs> <laughs> Pick one buzzword you'd want to get rid of forever. 
Single pane of glass. Single. Why? Because that's 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 a first. First of all, I got to dig a new grave today. I'm glad it's raining outside, so the ground is 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 ripe for a dig. I know people like to use it, and I, I just think it's it's a term that's old, overused, and stale. And you know, the analogy I use is when you when you go to buy a house and you look through one window, do you buy the house based upon just that one window you look through? No, you go inside and you look, walk around, right? Um, <clears throat> when you walk down the street in New York City and you stop at the shop and you look in the window, right? You look through, but you don't see everything. You go inside to find out more. Um, there's only so much you can see from a dashboard, from one single pane of glass. And I think sales companies, the sales teams, um, vendors have really overused that term. They've abused it. Um, and it just, I think it's lost its meaning. At least for me, it's lost its meaning. When I hear that term, I tend to tune out the sales pitch from that point on. I'm like, okay, um, I want to hear something else. I don't want to hear this, this old tired cliche, please come up with something more original. That's just me. It may work for other people. I I'm just, I'm just tired of it. Well, first of all, um, you never have to justify what you feel like needs to be buried. Okay, that is the whole point of this question. The whole point of the buzzword graveyard at the Sista Talk podcast is that we bury buzzwords we don't like. And you've given a very, very solid explanation. I think the house example is brilliant. I think anyone who's in marketing right now or in sales or in business development that's listening can get a lot of value from just that one statement. Right. There's yeah. no such thing as a single like we all talk about having, you know, people talk about dashboard fatigue for CISOs. Right. You uh -huh. have eight, nine different dashboards. Now, if I have eight or nine different dashboards and they're all giving me the same data, I'm absolutely fatigued. But if I've got eight different dashboards that are giving me eight different data points, I'm not really fatigued. Does that make sense? Yeah, it depends on, it depends on uh, what you're looking at at the time, right? right. But, what, but if somebody comes knocking on the door and says, hey, I've got the greatest things to sliced bread and it's a single pan of glass, uh, I'd tend to be so, a very skeptical. So I, I put all buzzwords in a spam folder, meaning if you send me an email and it's got buzzwords I absolutely despise, it goes directly into spam. It never makes my inbox. Do you do the same? Yeah. 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 I, I, actually, I'll just probably hit delete. Oh, so you still get it in your inbox? I don't even see those emails. Like I've had vendors that have met at conferences that go, hey, James, yeah. you know, I sent you a bunch of emails and you never replied. And I go, okay, what was in your email? And they go, well, Stefan, I was like, did you have any of the list of these buzzwords? I've got a, I've got a word doc with all yeah. the buzzwords that never make it into my inbox. And he goes, yeah. yeah, I go, you made it spam, never made it into my inbox. I'm never reading your email. Yeah. yeah a, a lot of them do go to my spam, but the ones that make it through, you know, and they, they make it through for whatever reason. Um, you know, not this, not to say that it would have that term in it, but I get a lot of sales pitch LinkedIn, right? I get LinkedIn all the time. All day I get long, man all day long. Hi, Mark. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. All and day I hate long. Mark. I'm just like, Oh my God. You know? Yeah. yeah. For, for those salespeople that are listening, we're not, we're not complaining about you. We realize you have a job to do, which is to reach out to us and present a solution that you feel can help us in our security cause in our organization. But maybe I think what Mark and I intend to say, and I'll speak on behalf of us and Mark, if I'm wrong, you can say, James, you're absolutely wrong. That's not what I mean. Um, when you come to us on LinkedIn, say, introduce yourself, have, have, a, have a humanly conversation with us before you sell us something. I get these messages um, 
and and I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you a really frustrating story. You brought it up, so I'm going to have to do it. And and and, and, and I sh- I've shared it, I think, in one of one of the previous podcasts. But I accepted this connection request from someone who's a business development manager at a specific security company. And within ten minutes, I get a message from that person, and the message was like, "Hey, I'm doing this. Uh, I, 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 I want a bunch of CISOs to check out our product." Never replied to it. I'm like, "Yeah, not." I don't have time to do this. Yeah. Really, like just never replied. A week later, I get an update this long. The systems that have tested our product are, I'm like, I didn't know. Why? Why are you doing this? Three days later, I get a second message longer. Literally. I think the constitution of independence is shorter than the email I got. Same thing. Okay. About a week later, I get the third email. So after the third email, I'm like, okay, apparently this this person doesn't get the message (laughs) I'm trying to deliver. So I write him a very polite email and I say, hello, so-and-so. Thank you so much for connecting. You know, I I don't tend to not accept any connections. You know, I want to connect with people. I want, you know, but, but take this, please take this feedback as a learning lesson. But I never signed up for your work group to begin with. You're, you're sending a bunch of emails with a bunch of information that I, I have no way to compare that relevant information and it's not going to allow me to engage with you. Yeah. I, I might end up blocking you and I haven't blocked anyone in my life in LinkedIn unless they were Chinese or Russian. Right, right. Yeah, I usually accept the connections, but um, it, it, I, I like, it's almost like I like to hit, you know, I hit uh, accept and then see how long it is before they pitch something, you know? Well, I know if I'm going to get a pitch by if when they send me a connection request, if there's if there's a note and you can always tell by the note. So I get notes that say, hey, I listen to your podcast, wanted to connect, accept those. I know I'll typically get an email yeah. after that yeah. just says, hey, love your podcast. Thanks so much for doing what you're doing. And it, that's great. I love mm-hmm. those. I don't mind those. And I've had some sneaky ones that don't put that in there because you can see it, right? They just you just do the accept. And then like, you know. An hour later, like you said, then you get the message. Then they, they follow up, right? Well, I get ones mm-hmm. that say, um, you and I have 27 mutual connections. So I thought I'd connect yeah. with you as well. And then I look at who yeah. our 27 mutual connections are, and I'm like, yeah, we're not connecting. Because I realize you're going to try to sell me something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. especially accountants and lawyers and people who want to do SOC 2 reports. Um, one technology that will change the way you do cybersecurity. Um, one thing we're looking at right now is um, a, a small startup. I'm not going to name the name yet, but um, they they have a pretty cool uh, concept of database um, uh, access, traffic, um, in and out awareness using uh, AI machine learning uh, that's going on. A pretty, pretty cool um, small dashboard, <laughs> not a single pane of glass, but it is a pretty cool looking thing. Um, that we're working with a small startup uh, to learn more about um, that it would give us visibility into the uh, in you know really uh, database activity anomalies um, that um, that we would be looking to pull in to our larger security program. So that's one thing that I'm really interested in is heading down the path of really finding a really solid, cool database um, um, anomaly uh, type behavioral analysis tool 
that can give us feedback um, almost real time on what's going on within um, the activity within the database itself. Awesome. The last book you read. Actually, I have it here. I know that uh, you asked those questions. So let's see if I can hold it up here. Oh. Other way. There we go. So this is a cool book, Nomenclature Initium. Uh, it's the first. It's one of four books. Uh, only one and two have been written so far. So this guy, uh, Bill O'Malley, has only written the first two. Um, it's it's a great book. It, it's, it's written from the perspective. So it's AD 15. And Seneca interviewing Polybius, who was the slave to Julius Caesar. Now, Polybius is like 94 years old by this time. And the story is that Seneca wanted to know what Caesar was like, the man. Not all the great stories. He wanted to know the, the good and the bad, the faults. What was he really like? So he tracked it his, through his father. Um, they lived nearby. Uh, Polybius, who was 94, had, had been a slave to Caesar and had gained his freedom. But he talks in the first book, talks about um, how he had been a slave for Cato and then uh, fake epilepsy was sold in the market. Caesar bought him and then he ended up becoming, becoming Caesar's slave. And, and it's really interesting. All the names Cicero and, every, and all Cato and all the people that were in and around Caesar at that time and all the meetings and all the discussions and all the, the things. Uh, and so, um, again, it's just the first book. I'm, I'm ready to order the second. Um, but it's really a great way to uh, to escape from today when you need that escape to go back and and then when you you know when you read you know obviously you're like well you know people today aren't so different than the Romans I mean the technology is different right but you know um, ambition desire love hate anger jealousy all those things that were going on back then it's still happening still, today well, that's human nature yeah right. that's human nature so human nature Adam and Eve are still exist today. Um, you still eat from the forbidden tree. Uh, <laughs> the last movie you saw? Uh, the last movie I saw was Irresistible. Um, it was on, uh, it's it, John Stewart directed it. I don't know if you've seen it. I have not. Okay, and I don't want to ruin it for people who, who haven't seen it, but it, it was very clever. The ending is very clever. And it. I'll just say in general, it shows, it really shows the breakdown of how both political parties in this country will pretty much stop at nothing to, to destroy each other, to try to win, in this case, a small town in Wisconsin, Mayorial Race. Yeah, um, we, we won't get into politics on this podcast. Um, right. Those that want to get into politics can join me on one of my YouTube lives or Periscope lives. We talk a little bit about that there. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, um, we, we, we live in a very, very interesting interesting time politically I, I i don't think we've had this amount of divisiveness in this nation um since its inception and, and the thing is i think with this movie james even no matter what party even if you're like an independent you know no matter where you come from i think it's actually a movie that anybody most people would actually enjoy and laugh at regardless of what party you belong to I think people say, "Aha, yeah, there's a lot of truth to this story, even though it's fictional, and there's a lot of it's a comedy, but it is pretty it's pretty clever." So, um, there's a really funny election movie with Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis, you know, where they're running for uh, for, for mayor, and, and that, they make fun of the whole political process, right? 
um, and 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 so it's it's that, that's more that's you know I find those movies to be very very fascinating of how people yeah. look at, at at politicians, but um, I, I think what what's happening right now is, is is a very very challenging time for our nation. Favorite music, favorite music. Favorite music depends on what mood I'm in, right? So if I'm in a creative mood, uh, you're talking to someone, group in Northern California, parents drove around listening to a lot of Dylan and Mamas and Papas, a lot of 60s music. So when I get creative, I, I turn on the 60s music. Um, you know, um, I play the guitar, play the harmonica, and I, I, you know, you know, I'm not Bob Dylan, but I like to pretend like sometimes. And and and, and I've, I've done a few songs you just just record for my friends. And um, I actually wrote a song about the death of George Floyd that I've played. Um, I've shared with a few people at Bluescape. Um, we, ha- we actually have a band at Bluescape called the Blue Scapegoats, and <laughs> and uh, and so we we played Roadhouse Blues um, by the Doors uh, as our debut song. And I did the harmonica and and uh, on the, the the Green Bullet like the the old time uh, microphone. It, it it came out really well. We have, we have a great band. Um, wasn't expecting to join a band when I joined Bluescape. It just kind of evolved. Um, when I'm when I'm working out, I'll crank up something like the ACDC, something something uh, something loud. Um, classical music, I love classical music. But then, um, as I tell people, sometimes I just like to go in the forest and listen to the forest and and the music of the uh, just the music of the animals and the and everything that's going on, the wind and everything. Just being alone in the forest has a a sound all to its own. So when I'm out hiking in the in the uh, you know in the in the woods with my family in the weekends, and sometimes you know. They'll they'll go ahead of me and I'll just stop and listen to the what's going on in the around me. Um, it's you know that's that's a good that's nice music as well. If you're ever in Georgia, you're welcome to my backyard. My backyard is the woods. I've got owls, deers, chipmunks, squirrels, birds, hawks, you name it. Snakes, um, snakes. I got black snakes. Got frogs. Um, uh, ver- like I'm I'm looking at my window right now at my backyard and. Typically on Friday mornings, our pack of deers is 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 here eating some of the the green. Um, they're a little late today, so I sure hope no one decided to hit them with the car. Um, uh, but but they used to be four, now they're eight, and and I think the herd is going to grow by a few more. Um, the, the, they're they're a fun yeah. f- fun herd. And so, what's one thing you took away from the COVID nineteen crisis? Uh, the, okay, so one thing that I really felt was a confirmation, an affirmation of everything that I'd been talking about for the past 10 years with regards to working at home. When I worked at Aetna, I worked at home for 10 years. I, I would travel and go to conferences and go to the to the main office in Hartford. But um, for the most part, I was working from home. And I knew that I was more productive working at home than I was when I went to the office. Because when I went to the office, everybody wanted to talk and hang out, which was cool, right? But as far as getting things done, it always set me back. <laughs> when I come back from a trip to Aetna and Hartford, I had to work on the weekend to make up all the catch up on all the emails and all the work that I wasn't able to do, you know, what like I would normally do during the week. So I realized that um, working from home was a great way to get things done. And like you said, you work around schedules, you work around life, kids, family, and what have you. Um, but I knew that even when COVID broke out, there were people who couldn't wait to get back in the office early on, right? This is going to be over. We're going to go back in. You, can't, How can anybody be productive working from home, let alone a whole company, right? We need to see people with their butt in the seat. I need to see someone sitting at a computer. I need to see someone. They've got to be in the office. 
Otherwise, they're not productive. And um, while that's that's true for some people, perhaps I knew the majority of people once if this went on, and we which it has that people would realize that we are as much or more productive working from home as we were when we were in the office. I knew that going into this. And so COVID-19, um, as bad as it has been, as sad as the whole story is, has has affirmed my, my stance on working from home. And I think a lot of people, from what I'm hearing, CIOs in the Bay Area are coming around and saying, you know what, we may want to do this even longer than we had talked about. Yeah. There will always be those going, kicking and screaming to the very end, right? They're going to hang on and, you know, I'm not giving up. <laughs> you know, we're going back in the office. They're going to die on that hill. And that may be the hill that they die on, right? Do the real estate and all that, you know, the prices. Um, people are finding out for many reasons, not just the productivity, but they, but the cost involved of renting an office and leasing an office and, you know, and, and um, you know, in real estate that it might be cheaper to be able to just keep us at home. And it's not just real estate. You, it's it's the insurance. It's the utilities. I mean, yeah. the cost there is significant, and that cost could be driven to really um, 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 promote the well-being of employees instead of having them go through that rat race, right? Um, yeah. Of, of sitting in traffic. I mean, I've been working from home for ten years. Um, you know, even when I had an office, I'd, I'd never go when, you know, people would show up at eight or nine o'clock. I wouldn't go until traffic died down. Yeah, and it was ten minutes from my house. But if it took me twenty minutes to get to my office, I'd be ticked. Yeah, yeah, right. Because well, yeah, when I was at Bluescape, I would get up in the morning and go in early. I catch an Uber and, and go in early. Um, you know, I yeah. I don't like traffic. Period. I I drove the DC traffic. I drove I drove in that traffic for years, man. Oh, DC traffic, man. That is DC it traffic sucks. is the definition of Washington DC. It it's sucks. just clogged up, and it sucks, and it's just it's, you know, yeah, no, no. No, DC mm -mm. traffic. No, mm -hmm. no, never again. Never no, again. Never again. Never no. again. I'm so glad they're doing a metro system, like a, like the train system in DC, because I'm like, oh, finally. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, someone's getting this thing. But no. Just <laughs> no. Like, I won't do it. Like, when I go to DC, I'm like, no. No. I'll, if I know I got to be at the Rainburn building, I'm booking a hotel where I can walk to the Rainburn building. Yeah. I mean, if, if they ever they need to run the metro all the way out to Front Royal to the west, all the way down to Richmond to the south, all the way up to Baltimore to the north. I mean, just one line, right? Coming. I mean, that would help a lot. It's a, it's a huge project, but I mean, that's really what it would take to, to come back the on the track. We're the richest country in the world. We have an ungodly economy. I still don't understand how we're not solving our transportation challenges. Priorities, priorities, my friend priorities indeed are true folks mark willis joining me we are way over time mark way <laughs> way way over time but i hope you all enjoyed this podcast mark thank you so much for coming on for folks what? tuning in and listening cyberhubpodcast.com where you can get all of our podcasts including this one and our cyberhub podcast our tech corner uh which uh, this week features uh, Aviv Grafi. He's the CEO of Votero. And we talk a little bit about phishing emails and ransomware attacks and a bunch of really, really cool stuff. You can get that there. You can also get our practitioner brief um, in your inbox daily. A great one-page, two-page document with all the links to everything you need to know about patching, vulnerabilities, and you know, none of the clickbait stuff, the stuff that really matters for security practitioners. 
that's it for us here today folks thanks so much for listening to sister talk podcast thank you so much for mark and his generosity with his time i really wanted to do this face-to-face at rsa but we couldn't you know rsa was just such a weird time and and mark was, <laughs> was. Just so new in his role and now that he's seasoned and in, we'll have him back again i'm sure of it until yeah. next time folks thanks so much for listening next week we'll have um a biso on the show talking a little well one of the oldest bisos um in his role will be joining us all the way from beautiful london i shall say mm. um will be a great great episode as we talk about bisos and cso's and all the things that come along with that so make sure you subscribe give us five stars until next week folks my name is james azar mark willis we're signing off and letting you all to please please folks please whatever you do stay cyber safe <laughs>